0: Good morning, Evergreen. Good morning. It is good to see y'all. <clears throat> I was thinking this week, I spent some time with Ann Horseman. Uh, Thursday, was it, Ann? Um, we were working on some things. And I was reminded this morning of a show I just watched on Netflix. This isn't in my notes, but maybe you've seen it, maybe you've not. I don't even know the name of the series. It's a National Geographic-style documentary. And it talked about, essentially, the relics of the Catholic faith. Now, I learned things I didn't know about these supposed relics. And there were three episodes. They kicked it off with which I didn't know that they supposedly have the crown of thorns. I didn't know they supposedly had portions of the cross of Jesus. Now, this is all supposedly because one of the people that talked about these fragments of the cross, they said, well, the truth is there's enough fragments around the world to build a cabin, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, it's a long time between now and then. So, Jeremy, why in the world are you bringing this up? What I saw with the devotees of these relics, some would hold vigils in front of these relics. They're, uh, if, if I remember correctly, the term, forgive me, is virination. And they would have they would virinate these Venerate, thank you. Just watched the show. I didn't go to the Catholic church, but and I thought, wow. So you you could get you, I could get to where they could get there. Okay, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says no, we don't we we don't talk to dead people uh, when they talk. We won't get into all of that, but we don't worship. It's in the Ten Commandments. We're not going to worship idols or things we put. But there's a lot of that. But here's the thing: I thought through all of that. If only they would fall in love with Christ and Christ alone and see his beauty. They don't have to fall in love with these things that they actually will call, There will be good luck charms. There's a lot of uh, mystique. There is a lot of, what's the other word I'm using? Um, uh, where they believe if they wear this, it's going to protect them. If they kiss this, it's going to protect their family. And I thought, superstition, thank you. Uh, a lot of superstition in that. And I thought, boy, I'm so glad for me and my ancestors and those who have come to Christ that we see Jesus alive and well, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, but he's gentle and lowly and he's accessible to us all. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We all know this uh, scripture passes. Jesus is talking. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, if nothing else, I want us to see you high and lifted up, drawing all men unto yourself, but also wanted in my own uh, shortcoming way to express the heart of Jesus Christ toward us sinners. Let us be renewed and refreshed, Lord, in our relationship with you, understanding that you're a very present help in the time of trouble. In Jesus' name we pray. So if I I leave you this morning renewed in your love and worship and adoration of Jesus, I really feel like I would have done my job. What I'm not going to do is tell you how you can be gentle and lowly. This is not going to be an application message. I just want to talk about the beauty of Jesus Christ, if that's okay. In seminary, this would have been called Christology, or the study of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, if our grandparents were around... Currently, some of us may have grandparents still around, but a lot of us don't. They would be shocked at the state of our world and nation. $100 groceries would probably get us a day's worth of food, right? I mean, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but, I mean, it's incredible how expensive things are. Cars cost five times what our grandparents paid for their homes My grandparent bought their home in 1960 for $14,000, and we're still paying that thing in 2000. uh, Probably had some second mortgages on that $15,000 house. Think about it. We pay $60 a month for a wireless service we can't see that connects us to a worldwide web we really don't understand. I mean, the things that we do are are sort of strange. We're also the most self-centered, self-loving, and at the same time, self-loathing generation. We're quick to speak up for our rights. We believe our voices should be heard. We want to let them have it. Of course, them are those that don't want to go our way, right, or not doing what we think they should do. Gentle and lowly. Now, if kids thought a boy was gentle and lowly in school, he would catch it, wouldn't he? He'd be beat up, made fun of, mocked. Let's face it, charismatic, matter-of-fact leaders are championed in our world today, and probably have always been. The loudest, the brightest, the coolest, the most charismatic people rule the world. They can lead. And it was the same when Jesus walked among us. If we're asked to say one thing about Jesus, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if we answered that Jesus is gentle and lowly. Last May, I spent some time with work in Italy, where all of the company came together for a time of refreshment. We were in Sicily, and I spent a lot of time with Orthodox Jews. Our company is based in Israel. We were in a Jeep. I signed up, and we were put all together. And I had uh, two Orthodox Jews with me. Um, and they explained a lot about the Jewish customs that i didn 't didn 't know about. Um, one was named David and of course, and the other one was named another New Testament name, probably uh, Noah, but it was a great time, and we got to talking about jesus and I asked them, I said, "Well, why is it that you don 't believe that Jesus is the Messiah?" They said, "Well, he came amongst animals, number one, and number two. He just wasn't what our rabbis told us he was going to be. I said, okay, so how do you know when the the Messiah comes? The rabbis will tell us that the Messiah has come. And when the rabbis tell us, we'll know that it's him. Jesus was gentle. The Greek word translated gentle here occurs just three other times in the Old Testament. First, in the first beatitude, the meek will inherit the earth. The next one is the prophecy in Matthew 21. Jesus was the king coming to you, what? Humble and mounted on a donkey. Perhaps the Jews thought he should have come on a white horse. And he will. In Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else, the hidden person of a heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. Jesus, the meek. Jesus... The humble, Jesus, the gentle, he's not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated like me. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. That's Jesus. He's also lowly. The meaning of the word lowly overlaps with that of gentle, and in the New Testament, it's translated as humble. James 4 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to what? The humble. Typically, throughout the New Testament, this Greek word refers not just to humility as a virtue, but to humility in the sense of destitution, being thrown downward by life circumstances. In Mary's song, While Pregnant with Jesus, for example, the word is used to speak of the way God exalts those who are of humble estate. Paul uses the word when he tells us not to be haughty, but associate with the lowly. For some of us, that's easier than others. When he talks about the lowly, he's referring to the socially unimpressive. The ones that show up at the party and folks say, oh, no, they've come and they're here. Paul says, associate associate with the lonely. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly, and if I could get you to hear anything else this morning, it would be this. It means that he is accessible. Think about it for a minute. Imagine you're going to a big party. Just go with me there for a minute. And you know, there's all kinds of people that are going to be there. Perhaps heroes of your faith, perhaps modern day heroes of our faith. Jesus is there too. Could you imagine how overwhelming, perhaps it's high society, you don't know how to uh, carry yourself, uh, perhaps you're out of place. Jesus could be talking to whoever, perhaps the king or the queen, or we, let's just make it up. We arrive, Jesus stops what he's doing, and he says, Deb is here. Mike's here. Sandy's here. And he runs over and gives you a big hug, and he welcomes you. That's Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. There's no prerequisites. There's no hoops to jump through. You don't have to get a ticket. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to pay admission. You don't have to do certain things. You don't have to bend down. You don't have to kiss a ring. You don't have to get through security verse 28 of our passage in Matthew 11 tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. Are you ready for who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus? All who who labor and are heavy laden. Now, if I could get you to raise your hand, it would be everybody in this room. You came in this morning. I did. Labor and heavy laden. We can give you a list as many as your fingers and toes as we have in here of why our lives are are weary and heavy laden. And they're all different. They'll all be different for all of us. Your very burden qualifies you to come. He says, I'm going to give you rest. His rest is a gift that's not a transaction. Jesus gives you rest because you're weary and heavy laden. I want to talk about two things and then we're done. Jesus, our constant Redeemer, is the first one. The gentle and lowly Christ does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and in need and, and are empty. Consider your own life. When a relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come rushing in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it feels like our one shot of significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when longtime friends let us down, when the family members betray us and it's time for Thanksgiving and Christmas, when we're laughed at by the impressive. In short, when the fallenness of our world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel. There, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like And sits close to us and embraces us. Hebrews 5.11 says, Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Jeremy, it's very hard to deal gently with the wayward and the ignorant. Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him irrespective of their part, particular offense and just how heinous it is. When we sin, we're encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. Remember when you got in trouble? You go, Man, my mom and daddy, because it's a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst. I've done this wrong and I'm going to catch it. That's not Jesus. He doesn't scowl and skull. He doesn't lash out. And all this restraint on his part is not because he has a deluded view of our sinfulness. Not at all. He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. His restraint simply comes from his love for you and I. Jesus deals gently with us. Lastly, Jesus, our intercessor and, intercessor and advocate, the Bible tells us that Jesus is always interceding for us. He intercedes for us given our general sinfulness. We could all raise our hands and say, yep, that's me. But he also advocates for us in the case of specific sins. We do indeed continue to sin after becoming believers. If you don't think that, then I'm sorry, but it is true. We've been dealt a bit of a, a bad deal or impression that supposedly when we walk the aisle, we've all of a sudden become saints. Like in the literal term, like after death or post-Jesus coming back saints. It's not the case. We continue to sin. Well, sometimes we sin really big. But that's why Jesus is our constant redeemer. And that's why he advocates for us at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. This morning, whatever sin you have, take your sin to the one who's already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you on the basis of his own wounds. Let your own unrighteousness and all your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous, in all his brightness and sufficiency. The deeper into the weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. This morning, I just want you to look to Christ. It's the only way he knows how to be. He deals gently with you. He deals gently with you. Looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. Looking out to Christ... We can anticipate only gentleness. And Jesus is what made made that gentleness possible because of what he did for us on the cross. We're celebrating his birth coming up in a month or so. And we're thankful that he came and walked on the earth because uh, he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He gave his life for us in torment and terrible torture so that we can know life and life more abundantly. In conclusion this morning, here's what I want to remind you of. The deepest affections of a gentle Savior are available to you. Perhaps looking at the evidence of your life, you don't know what to conclude except that this mercy of God in Christ has passed you up. We can all have stories. Well, yeah, but look at them. Man, God, Jesus really has really worked it out for them. But I've just got the short end of the stick all my life. Maybe you've been deeply mistreated. Misunderstood. Betrayed by the one person you should have been able to trust. Perhaps you've been abandoned. And I know people that have been abandoned. Perhaps you've been taken advantage of. Perhaps you can carry, perhaps you carry a pain that will never heal until on your other side of glory. To you I say this, the evidence of Christ's mercy towards you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy towards you is his. Jesus was mistreated. He was misunderstood. He was betrayed. He was abandoned eternally in your place. There was a uh, very young pastor about a week ago. I don't know his name. I stumbled upon it because it was a church in Dallas that I follow, a PCA church, a very large church, a Park City Presbyterian. And they posted that this pastor at another church, very large church in Dallas, died in his sleep. He's probably about 42. uh, Fit, probably had um, um, zero body fat. The picture of health just died in his sleep. Why, I don't know. These things happen. And uh, the church was about 5,000 members. He'd been there about eight years, and it was devastating. Well, some kind of way, I was checking Facebook one day, and I saw they had the the sermon, excuse me, the funeral. And the pastor's wife got up to share. And she said, listen, the beauty of having this church and the beauty of having such a large church is we have people in media ministry, and I can actually show you a clip of one of his sermons. So they, everything went dark, and they showed this one clip that he preached about a year ago about asking God why. Now, I have my own questions and I've asked some of the greatest theologians that, whatever, that you, know, you could ask that, I was, that was accessible to me. And some of those questions are still not answered. That's okay. But I have my own questions of why with God. And I pray about them and I toil with them and I wrestle with them. So this pastor, who had since passed away, was there in the pulpit and he's talking about why. Why? And he said, it's okay to ask why. But he said, let me pivot and give you a different word to replace why with. And when he said it, I said, wow. He said, with. Jesus, the gentle and lowly, is with you through this. And, of course, it was hope for her because she's thinking, I'm standing there. She didn't make. I, I drew the conclusion myself. Why, God? You've got. We've got stair-step kids right here. He was a pastor of a great church, healthy church. Why God? And what Jesus says this morning is, "I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you." And that's what I'm saying this morning is, Jesus is with us. We may not have the answers to why, but we do know who's with us, and it's Jesus. If God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. So, whether we've been sent against or have sent ourselves into misery, the Bible says that God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but God is open-handed. He's not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich, And he's extravagant toward us. The God, that God is rich in mercy means this. His mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, uh, flood-like sweeping. It means that our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves to work with most. It means that our sin does not cause his love to take a hit, our sins cause his love to search forward all the more. It means that on, on that day, when we stand before him, we will weep with relief, shocked at how poorly a view of his mercy we had. We all know someone in our lives that we think, when they call or they come by the house, perhaps as a relative, we may have one of these relatives too, cousin or somebody. You don't answer the door, you don't answer the phone, because you know good and well, they're always up to no good. They're trying to get something out of you. Your grace and your mercy ended years ago, right? So out of self-preservation and for my mental health, sorry, buddy. You keep your distance. And if we see you on the other side, I hope we do at the same place. We have those people in our lives. Siri just said, she's sorry. We all have those people in our lives. But to think that Jesus leans into those people when when they come to him. I still have family members in my life that have, are on the straight and narrow, but when they call, oh boy, uh-oh, what, what's going on? What do they need from me? What, what, what's happening? And I don't mind, I'll answer the phone. Even, even though they have come to Jesus and Jesus just opens their arms, Jesus has a different view of people than we do. Gentle and lowly. This, according to Jesus' own Testament, is Christ's very heart. This is who He is. This morning He's tender. Jesus is opening, He's welcoming, He's accommodating, He's understanding and He's willing. And the Bible says this, the same one that walks the street, walked the street, saw people suffering, He redeemed them, he healed them, he cleansed them the Bible tells us what he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I can do nothing, but you can. We are thankful for Jesus Christ. In fact, our love for your beauty and majesty is what calls us to each other and continues for us to come together on a weekly basis to worship you, to fellowship, to love and encourage and pray for each other, to contend for the faith. Jesus, it's your gentle and lowly spirit that has drawn us to you. It's the antithesis of anything we've really ever experienced. So this morning, Lord, we, afresh and anew, bring our lives to you, asking for you to forgive our sins, our constant redeemer, forgive our sins again today. We ask and thank you, Lord, for advocating for us and for praying for us. We pray, Lord, this morning that you renew us in your spirit, change our hearts and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.